Hi, I'm Susan. And this is Diane. And this is When Autumn Comes. Look, life sometimes just looks different than we thought it would. This is a podcast for mamas and for people who love them, whose lives were flipped upside down as a doctor looked into our eyes and explained our child's prognosis. Or for the mamas who get very little sleep as they face symptoms and behaviors that just aren't typical for other children. This is a place where we can take on this journey together because we know that this can be a sad, lonely, misunderstood path. But we also know that as colder temperatures and darker days begin to appear, so do the golden leaves and beautiful sunsets of autumn. We know that life comes in seasons. We know that in our world, 24 hours can hold so much change that it feels like four seasons in one day. We are here to let you share your story, let you laugh and let you cry, let you learn and let you grow, together with other mothers, when autumn comes. Once upon a time, I volunteered with our local children's hospital for something that we named Adopt-A-Mom Squad. It was basically a group of moms that was in our, I hate to say like grade, our generation, I don't know what the word is, but it was a group of moms that kind of graduated with our kids around the same time and we all hit it off, we became friends. Our kids became friends. Lorelai, she was the only girl in that group for a bit there. She she had all the boyfriends. What we did was we, we wanted to sit down with moms who were going to be leaving the NICU as medical moms. We wanted to pass on the wisdom that we had, not just like, welcome to our hospital, here's what you need to know, but here are the emotions that you are going to feel. Here's what it's going to feel like when you go home. That squad led me to meet the mom that is on this podcast today, Danielle. I took her out of the hospital. The poor girl had been in for months and months. And I was like, okay, you know that, that wine bistro right around the corner? We're going to, we're going to go over there. And she's like, really? We can do that? I was like, absolutely. So we walked two blocks away. We sat outside, we had wine and I told her about my life. She told me what was going on with her daughter and I told her it was going to be okay. And she basically called me a liar. Here we are today, proof that um, that I was not a liar <laughs> and that that we are all surviving. I do want to add to that that Adopt-A-Mom squad kind of ended because of COVID, but that squad is exactly what pushed me to start this podcast. And if it hadn't been for that group of women that started with me there, I wouldn't be having this podcast. And this is the way that I can continue to help other people. So I'm so grateful for the Adopt-A-Mom Squad. I am so grateful for Danielle. And I'm just, I'm really grateful for you guys. Thanks for being here. Now let's do this. Today, I have to tell you guys, the guest we have today is a match made in heaven for me and my kid because I met Danielle in, was it the Adopt-A-Mom Squad in the NICU? Yeah. And... We realized that my daughter's name was Lorelai. And what's your daughter's name? Her name is Aurora, but she goes by Rory. So we had Lorelai and Rory, and we were like, oh, we have to be friends. Um, <laughs> Our own girl, Gilmore Girls. <laughs> yeah. No, it was, it, was, um, it was a match made in the NICU, that's for sure. <laughs> so I guess I'm kind of like your like, medical mom mentor. Is that what you... Yeah, you're... 
I, that, I think that's what I called you the other day. My thing, my mentor turned friend I felt, into the mental I felt world. like I needed to put that on my resume. So tell us a little bit, because I know your story from like, not day one, but like month three maybe is when I met you. So tell us a little bit about your family and why you're here on a podcast for medical moms. Sure. So my name is Danielle. I have an amazing husband named Justin. I have a typical daughter that is six years old named Kaylee. And then I have my miracle baby, Aurora, who is now three and a half somehow. It's insane. (laughs) We found out at... 20 weeks along in pregnancy that something was wrong, but nobody knew what it was. They just kept saying something is wrong and we can't figure it out. So we had a feeling something was going to happen. Um, And then when she was born, it actually took them three days in an exploratory surgery to figure out what was wrong with her in the first place. And she was born. she had surgery within the first three days of her life. Yeah, she was born on a Monday. On Wednesday, she had an eight-hour-long exploratory surgery, which I actually was discharged that morning from the hospital and walked from, if you've been over to CHKD, from Norfolk General to the NICU and then went straight into her surgery immediately post-discharge from having a baby. Did she have physical complications that made them want to do exploratory? Like, What was complicated or what was wrong so that, that pushed them to have a surgery? So she had in utero, she had an extremely distended stomach that wasn't draining and they couldn't figure out where the blockage was. They had told us it was probably going to be um, what they had called a completely routine procedure um, when we were still in utero and met with surgery. They're like four to six weeks in the NICU. And we're like, oh my God, that seems like forever. And which is a little ironic now. Um <laughs> Well, how long were you in there? Six and a half months. Right. So, but at the time, we felt like an eternity. So they could not figure out. So she was born on a Monday night. Tuesday, she was in and out of tests, CT scans, all sorts of ultrasounds all day. Still could not figure out what was wrong. So Tuesday night, they said, we're going to put her on the books and we're going to do an exploratory surgery tomorrow and try to figure out what it is that's going wrong in there. So she did. She spent eight hours in surgery on day three. That's what they consider because the day you're born is called day one. Right. How long before you found out what she has? That night we found out the beginning of it. So she had that eight-hour surgery where she had her G-tube placed and they had to rearrange all of her intestines. Um, But they still weren't sure what was going on with the esophagus, which ended up being our biggest problem so far. That one we actually didn't find out until the end of week two because she was recovering from that first major surgery. They couldn't do any more studies to figure out what was going wrong with the esophagus. So at the end of week two, they finally were able to do a study and realized that she only had a tiny little piece of esophagus up top and a tiny little piece at the bottom. And they were over six inches away from each other and they were nowhere. So she just didn't have an esophagus. Mm-hmm. And so that led you to genetics to find out that she is a rare disease zebra also? Funny enough, that actually had nothing to do with it. Um, okay. Her are what cued them into um, call genetics. So she has her first toe and then two and three and four and five are webbed together on both feet. Huh. And they say two and three are completely normal. 
It's extremely abnormal to have toes four and five webbed together, especially on both sides. So they're like, we think this might be a genetic condition. And they called in the geneticist. We had had an amniocentesis done when I was pregnant. She had an entire chromosome lineup done when she was born and everything came back normal. So she came in and said, there's this one ridiculously rare condition. I don't think it's even possible it could come back positive, but I don't feel right not running it. Mm-hmm. And it came back positive, of course. Of course. <laughs> of course. What does she have? What did you find out? She has Feingold syndrome. At the time when she was born, there was only one ever published study about the condition. There was less than 200 ever known cases in the world. I think this number is still three and a half years later, under 500 of worldwide, those with the condition. And her, they actually published a case study on her in the NICU. And she was the second published study ever with the condition. Wow. Not the path you expected to be on, just like the rest of us. It's like the things you learn, right? Yeah. I never would have thought about this ever. Knowing you, I can say, I know enough about your story that you guys spend a lot of time in the... OR. We do. Absolutely. How many surgeries and procedures has she had? She has had to go to the OR or been under anesthesia 33 times in her three and a half years. For anybody who is listening that hasn't experienced that moment of handing your child to the surgical team, it's one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Does it get any easier as you, I mean... In a way, as bad as it sounds, I think sometimes you start to kind of get numb to it. Like you do a lot of things where you have to almost have this hardened exterior to deal with what we deal with every day. Yeah. But that anxiety of wondering if something's going to go wrong with your kid in the back and you're not going to be there, um, that never really goes away. I probably deal with it a lot better than I used to. It's not funny, but kind of funny. My older daughter had to have a literally a 15-minute procedure when she was a year and a half. She had two blocked tear ducts. And from the time they took her until they were like, hey, she's in PACU, she's doing great, was less than 30 minutes. And I cried like a baby the entire time. And then Aurora comes out. And on day three of life, she's gone for eight hours. And they're rearranging her entire intestinal system. And I'm like in pain and I'm trying to recover and I'm sitting in the waiting room just crying. And mm-hmm. at that point, cause she couldn't eat, I was still pumping. So I had to like leave halfway through her surgery and go up to the NICU to pump. And I was like, something's going to go wrong and they're going to come out and say something and I'm not going to be there. And it was just really, really hard. But as you keep going, you're like, I know she has to have this. We've done this however many times now. And some people think I'm crazy for keeping count, but it's just one of those things that I'm like, all right, this is what number it is. Mm-hmm. We're coming up on number 34 this coming week. So it's just another one of things that she has accomplished along the right, way. Exactly. I feel like we can't always check off certain milestones. So as medical parents, there's often things that we look for or we use as our accomplishment charts, I guess, because our kids go through so much. I thankfully, well, I guess we did have more surgeries than Laurel. I had multiple brain surgeries. Eh, no big deal. Um, but you know, like 
we luckily didn't have nearly as many surgeries as you, but we counted hospital stays and we counted PICU visits and we counted, you know, and I don't know about you, but I can, I can look back and go, oh, well that happened on our February PICU stay or, oh, well that happened on and a lot of people remember vacations and holidays, and we kind of, by default, remember hospitalizations. Especially because we travel for so many of her surgeries. You do. You go up to Cincinnati, right? Cincinnati Children's Hospital, which is about a 12-hour drive for us. And so we don't, I couldn't tell you the last time we had a vacation because we have to use any days off for traveling out of state for another hospital. Mm -hmm. That is my vacation is going to Cincinnati Children's Hospital instead of going down the street to our home hospital. Yeah. How does Aurora feel now that she's three and a half and she is cognitively understanding of this? Does she, is she scared? Is she like, eh, it's no big deal. This is what I do. Or how, how's it in your house as these surgeries are coming up? She is excited to go on the trips. She actually really likes going to Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure why, but she loves it. Um, as far as like the doctor visit, she loves going to the doctor. She is like, she'll be the first one to kick off her shoes and step right up on the scale and let them take her blood pressure. She'll just sit there and like hold her arm out. Um, when they go to give her a bracelet, like she thinks it's the coolest thing. We do have to, separation goes really poorly with my kid. So we have had to, ever since she was about a year and a half to two, we have to use like the medications to kind of make her a little loopy. Mm-hmm. So she can separate. And that definitely helps because handing off a happy, calm, quiet child is much nicer than it doesn't break your mom heart as much as like your kids screaming for you and you have to like give them away still anyways. Mm -hmm. So she does really, really, really well. This kid has no fear in anything or anyone. The highest pain tolerance she'll ever see. And she just doesn't care. Like legitimately, she's like, yeah, whatever. Yep. Like we're doing this today. All right. She'll come out of PACU and she like sits up and she's like juice and we'll just ask for her juice and she gets it and then she's happy. She does things that most adults couldn't do. I've only had, oh, I had two C-sections, but any surgery that I was put under for, I, um, the only one was my appendix decided to go on the fritz. Um, while I was pumping for Benji, oh, it was awful. Like you want to kill breast milk supply, have an appendicitis attack. I woke up though and I couldn't talk. I was confused. Like, you know, and my, my children are nonverbal. So seeing them in PACU has just been them kind of a little scared, upset and pain. But I've always wondered how it is for children who can talk. Are they confused? Are they upset? And Is it comforting to you that she wakes up and she's like, juice, I got this, mom? I think my kid's a lot different than a lot of typical kids who go under for like one procedure because normally my kid's the only one not screaming in the PACU when they wake up. I don't know if she's She's like- She's saying hi to all her fellow nurse friends. At one point we were going weekly for esophageal dilation. So she was going to the OR once a week here at home and the nurses just knew her. They walked in and they're like, oh, Aurora, look, you're here again. I'm like, yep. Here we are. I tell you, I don't know how she does it, but she just does not care. She does not let anything affect her ever. And she has a mentality that I wish I could adapt more from. I was going to say, how how is your mentality compared to hers? 
<laughs> I'm the only one that's anxious out of the two of us. And she's the one actually going through the procedures. I feed off of her strength most of the time because I'm like, if this isn't bothering her, why is it bothering me so much? If my kid is telling me like, I'm fine, mom, like I'm good. Then why am I like, oh my God, what is going to happen to her? Because then I'm just going to project that onto her and I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. So it's taken a lot to be like, okay, if she's good, I'm good. She says it's fine. Then it's fine right now. Which is interesting because normally that's a reverse role where the mom is like, if I say it's fine, we're good. If things are okay, if mom isn't freaking out, you shouldn't freak out. But right now you're in an opposite role where you're feeling the feels from your three and a half year old. She's accomplished more or got been through more in her life than I ever have. I mean, I've never, I've never had surgery. My husband's had three, I think. My other daughter's had one. And I'm like, you take this like a champ. And I don't know how. I don't know if it's because she's had to deal with this. I mean, this is her life. Ever since she was born, this has been Mm -hmm. how it is. Mm -hmm. So even though things have spaced out more now, she just doesn't care. She does not let anything bother her, which Mm -hmm. is really amazing. If you were sitting in the waiting room right now, And you were able to talk to Danielle, who was sitting there crying and upset because Kaylee was in her first surgery. What would this Danielle tell old Danielle? Oh, um, I think it's still okay to be scared or to be anxious. It's one of those things. I think what you go through kind of puts things in perspective. Absolutely. So at that time, that was one of the hardest things I had ever had to go through. Mm -hmm. But to know that it's going to be okay, you're going to get through this. You know, we pick teams of surgeons that we know can do what they need to do. And she's in the best hands possible. I mean, yeah, but that was really, really hard at that time. And it's okay for it to be hard, even though it's not as hard as somebody else's hard, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I think it's incredibly important that we honor all of the feels and all of the, you know, it's not fair to say, gosh, I should have been stronger because that, like you said, was the scariest thing that you have faced with her. I know there's other moms listening or other adults who aren't in our community who are trying to learn about our community and they're thinking, well, gosh, like I just got a paper cut and I'm sitting here crying you know, I mean, I'm not, but you know what I mean? Like (laughs) I just stubbed my toe. (laughs) They do hurt, but (laughs) hard as perspective. And at the time that was incredibly difficult. So I'm very proud of you that you are honoring and acknowledging that and not dismissing it. It's something a lot of people will will say to me is they're like, I shouldn't even complain to you about this because of my situation. And I'm like, just because your heart doesn't feel the same, like it can still feel the same if that's the hardest thing you're going through. Mm -hmm. It's not apples to apples. It's apples to oranges here. Like your heart is still hard and you're justified. You're allowed to feel those feelings without comparing it to what journey I'm on right now. I don't know about you, but I never want my friends to not feel like they can come to me because if hard is hard, then hard across the board is the same, even though it's a different Mm -hmm. action or emotion or surgery or 
school that our kid has to go through or whatever it may be, if we're all feeling that level of hard, you know, your heart goes out to anybody who's struggling, um, anybody who's afraid of what their children are going through. Motherhood is hard. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Motherhood is so freaking hard. No lies there. This is the hardest thing no lies. I have ever done is be a mom. So speaking of hard things, you not only decided to like be an overachieving medical mom, you decided to change your entire life, not just your family, not just the way you feed your children because she is G-tube fed, but you decided what, let's, let's explain to everybody what you decided to do in honor, in honor of your child because of your child. Let's, Um, let's dish. So I decided to go to PA school or physician assistant school. I had already been in the medical field. I've worked in the medical field for two to three years when I had Aurora. And then it took me another two years of having her before I was like, I want to do something more. And actually what really inspired it when we were in the PICU in Cincinnati, there was a time they extubated Aurora and she crashed. She crashed really, really hard. And it took almost two hours to get her stable. And every step of the way, the attending was in there And she's like, this is the order I'm making right now. This is why I'm doing it. This is what's going to happen next. And she's like, you stay at the bedside. Like you stay at her head. You talk to her. She needs you more than she needs us right now. And for the entire two hours, she stood in there and she talked to me and explained every single thing. They had like drawn it up to re-intubate. And then she ended up leveling out, but she was still on severe watch that night. And so I laid in her bed. She was able to move her chest tube so I could even lay with her in the hospital bed. And she came back later and she's like, how are you doing? And I was like, I'm, I mean, I'm numb. I'm, I'm upset. I'm sad right now. And I was like, but I've never had a doctor do what you just did for me. And she said, my daughter was in the PICU 14 years ago and she does not remember it. And I remember it every day. Like it was yesterday. I wanted to know what was going on. And so why would I not help you know what's going on? And actually that same hospital stay, we had a respiratory therapist who had a daughter with cystic fibrosis and went back to become an RT after having a daughter with a lung condition. And it was one of those things I was like, I have all this experience and this knowledge from my kid and all of her rare diseases. I could also be one of those really compassionate healthcare providers who just understands what you're going through as well as what your kid is going through. So... I applied to school and I was very lucky to get in on the first time I applied. My year, they had 1,700 applicants and they took 80 people. So it was very slim odds, but I think it was because I wrote my letter about Aurora Mm -hmm. and spent a good portion of both my interviews talking about her. And it's just, I know what it's like to sit there and to not understand or to have a doctor blow you off about different things and... um, Medical school, I didn't want to do because especially residency, I'd be away from my kids so Mm -hmm. much. Mm -hmm. Um, So PA was a really good route to be able to get to actually practice medicine and get to help more kids like yours and mine. And yeah, 
probably everybody who listens to this who just want a doctor that gets it or a healthcare provider that gets it. You're going in this not just to help the children, but you're going in this to help the parents and the family. And I think that is incredible because I feel like that's something that's often missed. And I don't know if it's missed because people are busy and trying to save lives or doing whatever, but that doctor that you had that took five extra seconds as she was doing to say, this is why I'm doing, this is why I'm doing, this is what's happening next. Here's where we're going next. Can you imagine every family she's doing that for and just how that touches them? Because we've talked about it many times on this show before, how you feel like you're just dropped in a foreign country, whether that's the NICU or the PICU or just a doctor's appointment where they're handing you information. It's so overwhelming. And to have somebody explain that and not make you feel like an idiot while doing it, it's huge. It's not something you see very often. And she is one of those ones I actually, I got home and I don't write to like administration or anything like that often, but I got in touch with like the head of patient services, whoever it was there. And I was like, I need to let you know what happened to me there because we have never been treated so well, or like I was a key part of my own kid's medical team by any other doctor or any other healthcare provider before. And so the fact that you included me on all of this, and I mean, my kid was crashing. My kid was legitimately Mm -hmm. crashing in front of me and it was really scary, but also it was comforting to know it's not just a whole bunch of people screaming and drawing up meds. It's somebody saying, get this med and this is what it's going to do. And this is what we're going to do next. And that brings you Mm -hmm. a sense of comfort in a really chaotic and really depressing situation Mm -hmm. um, that I wouldn't have had if she would have taken those five extra seconds. It's a situation where everything is out of your control and you Mm -hmm. are normally the one who is controlling everything about your complex child. Yes. And (laughs) all of that, whether it's the surgeries or whether it's a pick you stay or Again, just a clinical appointment sometimes, you are the one who is in control. And when you walk through those doors, you are handing your baby and all of the control you have over. I hope that there are doctors and nurses who are listening right now and realize the power of taking those extra seconds to say, here's why this is happening. In the future, when you are working in the, are you shooting to work in the PICU? Is that your plan? I know you've talked about it a couple times. So I have rotations set up as far as, so I get one PEDS rotation and then I get two electives. So right now I have them set up to do one in genetics, one in PEDS cardiology and one in the NICU. Okay. So hopefully one of those three will hire me afterwards. (laughs) Yep. In the future, when you can see yourself, you know, working alongside families, how will your experiences in the hospital, how were your home experiences knowing what that family is going to do when they walk out of that genetics appointment after receiving news or when they're sitting in the, the bedside at the NICU and you know that mom just needs to go and get water? Like, How will your experiences affect the way you communicate with them and help them and work with them? Absolutely. So having been in that situation, it's it takes one extra minute of your time to just check in with the parents and 
you know, using terms that people understand, because there's so many times you'll go and you'll have doctors that will speak in just medical jargon. And if you've never worked in the medical field, it's an entirely new language. We've left so many appointments where my husband has turned to me afterwards and said, what did they even say? Because some doctors are going to be they won't stop or they'll be look at you like you're stupid. If you're like, hold on, can you explain that word to me? Mm. So checking in, taking that one extra minute and being like, do you understand? Do you have any questions? Like, how are you doing with this? But I'm also one of the huge supporters of mental health and making sure that parents are also taking care of themselves. So checking in and making sure they're going to, they're going to be okay. Cause whether you spend a day in the NICU or a year in the NICU, which I didn't know it was possible until I was in there and knew people that said a year in the NICU. It's, it's hard. It's really, really hard. And there's so many parents that don't take the time to take care of themselves. So I think it's important as a kid's provider to realize that you can't go home to a good environment if the parents aren't also taking care of themselves. Mm-hmm. So if you want the kid to do well, like the parents need to be doing well too, or as well as you can be in that situation. Yeah. I think I'm I think you're going to make an amazing advocate for your patients, for your daughter, for the families. I think it is absolutely beautiful that you pivoted your life not just as a the type of mother you are, but you you're like, I see I see what you're handing me and I'm going to one up <laughs> you. And I'm going to like, not just accept this challenge, but I am going to be the change that comes with this challenge. Like it's absolutely beautiful what you're doing. So even on the, can we disclose why you have to fly to Cincinnati tomorrow? What your daughter did. So like, even though we sound like we have our acts together, we don't tell them why you have to go have another surgery tomorrow. Um, I think it's a typical three-year-old thing to eat a foreign body. My oldest, it was a toy bug that she got lodged. Oh, I remember in her that. She was around this age, and then we had to check poop to see when this toy bug came out. Aurora decided to eat a two-inch metal barrette, and we did not realize it was in her esophagus because she is tube-fed. We believe it was in there for about four days, and so she has done some pretty significant damage to the inside of her esophagus that and you so spent we, years trying to construct her colophagus. She actually has a colon. Now they removed her entire esophagus and put her colon there. So her colophagus has some damage to it. And our home hospital told us this time that she is now too complex for them to do therapeutic procedures. So they called me on a Friday and said, she needs to be in the OR next week. And I said, all right, I'll figure it out. And we are flying out tomorrow to go get her colophagus fixed. Oh, my goodness. See, even even <laughs> us medical moms who act like we have our lives together, sometimes our kids are still eating barrettes. <laughs> it happens. Uh, she just thought things were stable for too long. She was like, eh, let's switch <laughs> She was like, I haven't been to the OR in like eight weeks. I need to schedule something. It's been almost six months. This is the longest we have ever gone in her entire life without a surgery. It's been five and a half months now, and she she thought it was too long. (laughs) I have to ask, since we've discussed surgery, since it's been six months, are you feeling at all anxious? Or is this like, 
you have any feels coming up? Are you more anxious about traveling or? I'm very anxious about flying. Um, I don't like flying in general, but with the snow and how short notice this was, I am from Virginia. I don't know how to drive in the snow and there's a lot of mountains to drive through. So I wasn't trying to do that, but also this will be all of her other surgeries she has had have always been like a planned procedure. Aside from obviously three days old when she had hers, we still knew a surgery was coming. Right. So this has kind of been the first time that something's happened to make her like something is wrong. We need to go to the OR. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of anxiety inducing too, because I don't know what they're going to find. And if it's going to be a simple fix, mm-hmm. like it has been in the past, my kids have never eaten a hair clip before. So <laughs> I don't know. We'll find out. It was shaped like a cat that had two little ears on it. And like the ears like oh pronged gosh. into the colophagus. It was a whole ordeal. How did you find so, it? She stopped eating orally for four days. So on a Sunday, she just decided she didn't want to eat anymore. And as a two month, sometimes they just don't want to eat. And you're like, oh, okay, like, mm-hmm. is this just a, are you just kind of being a three-year-old jerk? Because all three-year-olds are jerks. Even the cute ones. Or like, is something wrong? So actually that Wednesday, my husband and I were talking, we're like, we think we might need to call the doctor. She's been throwing up a lot more lately. And so she was eating noodles and then would just throw up whole noodles like they had never been digested. And so we're like, I think we need to go up on her meds. I don't think the meds are working. Um, And then that night she vomited up this hair clip and we're like, how long has that been in there? Because as soon as it came out, she wanted to eat again. Oh my goodness. So I strongly believe from Sunday to Wednesday that was lodged in there. And so she couldn't eat because nothing could pass through down to her stomach. I'm thankful she threw it up and it didn't get lodged in her. Um, it's also one of those times my kid having a stupid high pain tolerance kind of hits us because she never once was like, ow, this hurts. Like, yeah. ow, anything hurts. Yeah. Any typical kid would be like, hey, mom, like this hurts right now. She never once hey, said mom, that. Hey, mom, I have a hair clip in my throat. <laughs> she, I was like, I didn't even know. Like, we struggle to get you to swallow normal foods, let alone a two-inch barrette. Like, how did you even swallow that? It makes no sense to me. Um, but she did. I was wondering if it was going to like poke out the G tube. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it You're ever like- actually made it into her stomach. Yeah. So there's yeah. really bad mirroring where they sutured the colon to the stomach. Like it's narrowed there now. So I think it got stuck right there. Well, we didn't plan on discussing all of this, but let's pretend that you are on an adopt a mom squad. Okay. And you take this scared looking brand new medical mom to like, I don't know, a wine bistro. And you're sitting there. What do you tell that mom who is about to face all the surgeries, who is about to face, I don't know, a G tube and equipment and everything else? Because I, I remember what I told you, but now I'm curious what you might tell the new mom who's listening. <sighs> Um, embrace the suck. Sometimes it's not always going to be easy. It would be great if I could sit there and tell someone like, this is going to be all right. Like, it's going to be good. Everything's going to be okay. Cause you don't know if everything's going to be okay, but embrace the suck. It's going to be okay. And if you get to a moment where you feel like you're going to break down, then 
go and cry and come back and then you're going to be okay and get back on your feet. And eventually it will be okay. And it might not be what you thought it was going to be, but that doesn't mean it's not going to be great. You had a good glass of wine that day. (laughs) I did have a good glass of wine that day. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And I, it's funny looking back on that now, you were like, it's gonna, it's gonna be okay. And I was like, you don't get it. It's not going to be okay. And now I look back on that and here we are. And although things still are crazy and we're flying tomorrow, um, it's still okay. Everything's okay right now. And it's amazing how our definition of okay changes. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And it's okay that your definition of okay changes. I think that's part of this journey. Absolutely. Okay. I have to ask you the question that we ask at the end of every episode. Danielle, what gives you hope? My child defying all odds and defying every limit anybody has ever set on her absolutely continues to give me hope. That is absolutely beautiful. And I am so grateful that we had wine that day. And have become friends. And I will be thinking about your daughter tomorrow when she's in surgery. And uh, and you. We'll send you all the love. That's it for us today. I just want to thank Danielle so much for being here. And obviously this was recorded a couple months ago when it was cold and snowy. So I can happily report that Aurora is doing great after her barrette surgery and that she is continuing to eat more and more by mouth which is just mind-blowing to me because that girl has come such a far way and so has her mama and I am so proud of her if you're new here thank you so much for joining us this is the when autumn comes podcast we love it Love, 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 love it if you joined us in the When Autumn Comes Society where we talk about random things, including this podcast, but I will say the topic of discussion this past Monday was what are the awesome finds you have found on Amazon, and I'm pretty sure everybody's going to go Amazon shopping now. Thank you for being here, and one one more favor, please share this. Please like this podcast on whatever platform you're listening it on. Please subscribe. Give us all the stars. I'm a big fan of gold stars. I need them to make my life feel complete. And I just really want to continue to grow this project so that we can help other families feel less alone in these crazy, crazy journeys we ended up on. This is Suze and I am going to go, gosh, what should I do today? Actually, Ironically, it is 80 degrees out here today, so I'm going to go wake up Benji from his nap, and we are going to sit outside for five minutes. Catch y'all on Friday.